All right, so I want to pick up where I left off last week or talking about some of the stuff I was talking about last week uh, as far as supernatural living <clears throat> or having a supernatural lifestyle. And one of the things that I think we're all wrestling with, those of us that are um, part of this movement, it really is a movement. I've talked to so many leaders, especially in the last, uh, just the last couple of weeks, who, you know, the old is not working for them anymore. I'm going to adjust this just a little bit. The old is not working for them anymore. And uh, they can't deny, you know, the, the power and the experiences and the life-changing reality of what they experienced in the past. <clears throat> and I'm talking about specifically those of us that come from the charismatic Christian world. So for those of you that don't come from that world, hopefully, you know, this part will be interesting to you. You can understand that world a little bit better. Um, and I'd love to hear from you uh, as well. But, you know, a lot of us are coming out of that old mold of the charismatic world. Uh, but we're very, you know, we're, we're not doing it, you know, for any other reason except that we're waking up to things and God seems to be um, making you know, how do we move from sort of the charismatic, supernatural stuff that we did into, you know, what is it that we're moving into? Because most of us don't want to let go of, or nor should we let go of the supernatural dynamics, nor should we dishonor or, um, I don't know, somehow make less than the things that we experienced before. So in, in my case, um, you know, I... I um, found God, found Jesus, whatever, you know, in my 20s, and uh, then became part of uh, what's called the charismatic movement. And <clears throat> that's a loose term. I'm using that very broadly to talk about uh, that brand or that stream of Christianity that believes that the supernatural is still happening today, that we don't read the Bible that talks about miracles, talks about healings, uh, all that stuff and not expect to see it at least on some level in our lives today. And there's a rich history there. You can go back to the turn of the 20th century and you can read, you can even find newspaper, old newspaper clippings about what happened in the 20th century with what we know now as the Pentecostal movement that took off around the world. You can read the stories of William Seymour, who led that movement, and there were incredible things that happened, incredible miracles. I remember a few years ago, maybe a decade ago or so, you know, a lot of us, if you were around back then, we were um, experiencing these really unusual manifestations of things uh, materializing out of thin air, one of those being um, uh, like a gold dust or a glitter. now, for people to say, oh, that's, you know, fake and phony, uh, you gotta understand, my wife Julie is one of, uh, she keeps me, she keeps me grounded. She, she's a Virgo all the way. She has a lot of Virgo energy. Um, and Virgo's an earth sign. I'm also a Virgo, but she's got more Virgo energy in her chart than I do. But, uh, <clears throat> anyway, so I remember being at one of these meetings and people would start having oil appear on their hands and the oil would have a fragrance to it, a a beautiful perfume-like fragrance. And then their hands would get covered with this gold glitter. And I remember her being, hey, Vanessa, I remember her being uh, skeptical about that kind of. 
and she thought she had some on her hands and she went into the bathroom and she washed her hands really well under the water. She didn't use soap because she didn't want anything that was going to uh, bring a fragrance. <laughs> she wiped her hands. I remember she was saying she kind of sniffed her hands and it smelled like the paper towels. And she walks out of the bathroom. Nick and Joanna are watching. They can testify to this because they were there. She walks out of the bathroom and just gets covered, like covered in this oil and glitter that had this strong fragrance that began to fill the room. And we're watching it materialize um, before our eyes. Now, I know that's hard for people to accept, believe, whatever. Uh, I know certain people in my mental, in the mental health community <laughs> might question uh the reality of that. Um, I think less and less so. I think more and more people are waking up to the reality that there is more in life out there than what uh, we can access in this three-dimensional world. Um, but those, you know, so we were having those kind of crazy signs and wonders. We had lots of healings and miracles that happened. We, you know, had a number of people that came to our services on crutches that left without them. Um, I remember, you know, numerous times praying for people with uh, broken bones and feeling those broken bones move and mend under my hand. And then they're able to get up and walk out. Uh, we had a whole room in the back in our uh, church where we had um, everything from diabetic needles to uh, glasses to crutches because of people who had been healed or received miracles, a lot of them instantaneously in, in our meetings. I remember my niece praying for my niece, Jill. I don't know if Jill's watching, but she uh, had a lot of ear problems when she was younger, and so she'd lost a lot of hearing. And I remember praying for her hearing, and she got instantly healed. And I remember my sister saying, you know, she was walking around in the kitchen saying, what's that noise, what's that noise, what's that noise? And... Uh, it turns out it was the refrigerator. She just hadn't noticed <laughs> the refrigerator running. So all that to say, you know, those were uh, very much part of my life. And then, so that's kind of the, the demonstration of power side of it. And then there was sort of the knowledge side of it, being able to know things supernaturally that you wouldn't be able to know otherwise, being able to know things about the future that you wouldn't be able to know otherwise, being able to know things about people that you wouldn't be able to know otherwise. And I'm not talking about, you know, this generalized kind of stuff, like you've really been going through it. <laughs> like prophets, man, we'd have it made right now, right? If we could get together, we could say that somebody out there, you've really been struggling with the changes in your life. You've really been struggling with the changes in the world. Well, no kidding. <laughs> that applies to most of us. That's like standing up in a room full of more than a hundred people and giving a word of knowledge that God wants to heal someone's back. Um, I, I, I did do that once, by the way. I have to tell you, I was in, uh, I won't even say where I was. I was in another country and, uh, we were, I was ministering with a friend of mine and he was, uh, had the meeting and he was doing, he was doing healing and I was having some issues at the time. And so I'm sitting there receipt walking through what he's telling everybody to do, receiving my own healing, focused on my own stuff. And then he says, uh, well, Pastor Aaron is here, and he moves a lot in words of knowledge. And for those of you that don't know what a word of knowledge is, it's the ability to know something about someone in the room or someone that you're praying for without them telling you that has, uh, you know, enough detail that it that it 
it works. <laughs> and so he puts me, he brings me out in front of hundreds of people, right? This is my first impression. And I'm not in the flow of it at all. I'm just focused on me and what I'm doing. And so I literally, I just started out by saying, um, okay, the Lord is healing back pain. <laughs> the Lord is healing back pain. <laughs> And because uh, it wasn't anything I felt a word of knowledge. I just knew there had to be a lot of back pain in the room. And if people could believe God was healing them, they'd probably get touched. And don't fault me. I heard Carlton Pearson this week uh, say that Oral Roberts used to put uh, people down in front that would be more receptive to faith and healing. Uh, and he would pray for them first so that the rest of the crowd would get on board. I know John Wimber used to say they would find the the lightning rod in the room, that would be the person who was manifesting oftentimes the strangest manifestation of the Holy Spirit and minister to them first because it would get the crowd going. So, you know, there's a lot of that crowd manipulation and I was just saving face. I wasn't trying to manipulate. I was saving face. There's somebody here with back pain and uh, God's healing it. But I do remember in that meeting, one of the things <clears throat> that I mentioned was liver damage and uh, it turned out that my interpreter had uh, all kinds of liver issues that she was having. And <clears throat> she got healed of her liver issues uh, in that meeting. Told me about it the next day. I think I was there for a week. And she had, didn't have any symptoms during that whole week-long time. I remember another time being in the Ukraine. I'm just trying to validate the supernatural for those that may not understand, you know, what happens or why we believe in what we believed in in the charismatic world. Uh, I don't talk a lot about my supernatural experiences. Most of you know that, that follow me at all. I, I don't like to talk about them at all. But um, <clears throat> I remember being in the Ukraine, being in Kiev, and I had the flu. And, I mean, I had a temperature <clears throat> and uh, definitely not sheltering in place. Um, they wouldn't let me. Uh, the My hosts, the guy, the, the, the apostle that I was with. And so we had to... Uh, uh, do a meeting on a Sunday morning, and so I preached, just sick, but got up there by faith and preached and did a healing line. And I probably laid hands on, I don't know, uh, 100, maybe 200 people that day. And I was told the following Sunday that they had testimonies, um, the whole service, the whole entire service of people that have been healed from lifelong conditions. Uh, people that were blind that were seeing, people that had cancer that were healed. <clears throat> and I, I didn't get healed. I, I was sick for a month after that. So. <laughs> but I also remember in those meetings uh, operating in what we would call word of knowledge. Here's another example. I remember um, praying for one of the young ladies. And I said, um, I began to speak to her about not letting people uh, put her down because she was a girl or because she was young and that she could operate in the healing gift and praying for her because back then we believed you could transfer gifts and praying for her to receive a healing gift. And I don't remember all the details. This was many years ago. And I just remember she broke down and started crying. And that morning she had been talking to a group of elders, a group of elders, or maybe they were deacons, one of those deacon-possessed churches. You know all about that, right? <laughs> Some of you out there. And they told her, oh, no, you're too young. You're a woman. You can't operate in any of that. And it was exactly what she had been talking about that I um, 
that I addressed. So I'm just saying all that to say that <clears throat> definitely had a life that was very much marked by the supernatural. And so then start coming into this thing of awakening, right? Start uh, start coming into this thing. And what I mean by awakening, it's, it's hard to describe if you haven't experienced it. It's like um, um, you just see stuff that you didn't see before, and the old doesn't fit. And it doesn't matter how much people try to talk you out of it or talk you into it or back into it. You're like, I've been there. You know, I was blind. We're going to get to that in a minute. I was blind, but now I see. And so that kind of started for me in 2016 and really ramped up hardcore uh, in 2016. And uh, then in 2017, most of you know, we went on a sabbatical. We went to Phoenix, Arizona for three months. And... The craziest stuff started happening to us in three months there in Phoenix, Arizona. And we began to have, I had more, and Julie will testify to this as well, I had more supernatural experiences in that three-month time period, crammed into that three-month time period, as far as uh, things that were contributing to my awakening than I could ever think of happening in a three-month time period. By supernatural experiences, I mean synchronicities, meeting people, um, having, you know, dreams and visions, having manifestations of power, downloads of power. And this was all taking place outside of a Christian context. and that, and you know, back, of course, from that lens, from our dualism lens back then, you had the good side, you had God, the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you had the angels that served the light, and then you had the evil side, you had Satan and all his demons and devils, and you had this absolute dualism where you had two different categories that were in complete op- opposition and contradiction to each other. And so, and, and of course, the, the devils were out to deceive you. So if we met people who were doing energy work or had supernatural encounters with uh, people from different faiths or different traditions or who didn't believe like us, we would automatically assume that was demonic. And the whole goal, this is the point I want to get to, the whole goal was to lead you away from the truth. And what we believed that the truth was was adherence to a set of beliefs or doctrine, doctrinal statements. Because doctrine became super important, right? Like, we want to make sure we have sound doctrine. And doctrine is just a fancy religious word for teaching. We want to make sure we have sound teaching. And, you know, we need sound teaching, believe me. Um, but you can have, uh, you know, how, how do you judge, how do you determine what is sound teaching? Well, for us, we would say, well, it's got to go by this book. But you, yeah, you got tens of thousands of denominations that say they are going by this book and say that they've got the right teaching or the right doctrine. And uh, they don't agree with each other at all. <laughs> so it's very, very subjective. And uh, uh, anytime we try to say, well, this is the right, this is the one interpretation, we're reading this in its historical context, um, you don't really know that because the history, listen, the ancient history is a garbled mess. And even people that study it have a hard time knowing with certainty if their approach or perspective is correct. So the next time somebody tells you, well, I have the historical context, and in the historical context, this is what this means, just understand they're giving you this much of what one group of scholars who only talk to each other think that it means. 
because we're trying to reconstruct dead languages. We're trying to reconstruct dead cultures, uh, dead so- societies and make sense of them. And it's just hard to say with certainty what, um, what exactly stuff means. That's not to say there's not value in that. I think there's tremendous value in that. I'm just saying that we, 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 we get so hung up on having sound doctrine. And here's why I'm belaboring the point, because I want to talk about some of the differences of shifting from where we were in the charismatic world supernaturally to where I think we're going, at least those of us that are on this journey, in terms of a more expansive and awakened and inclusive spirituality and more inclusive, more inclusive of others, more inclusive of other traditions, more inclusive of other tools. Um, so, you know, I, I, with that, I just saw, I just saw Vanessa jumping on or something. So I want to, you know, give a shout out to Vanessa Brooks. You know, she's been doing, she's really been pushing the envelope. I mean, she's come from, you know, kind of the same type of charismatic Pentecostal ministry. And I hope you don't mind me, um, mentioning you, Vanessa, but to, you know, exploring, uh, uh, other tools like uh, the tarot cards or the oracle cards or um, operating with the astrological cycles and the phases of the moon and 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 all that kind of stuff. Jeanette Peasley's been doing the same thing with uh, Ray and Sam. Um, and I just mentioned Jeanette first because she did the one live from her house. But uh, where, you know, they're they're operating and moving with the moon cycles and those kinds of things. You know, those are things that we never would have considered as charismatic Christians, even though, even though, um, you know, Israel operated by the moon cycles and the Bible is full of astrological principles and stuff like that. But anyway, that's not my topic. Uh, so, so, so here's some of the key differences that I think that are important for us. The, the first difference is, is that we believed very much so that God was confirming the message we were preaching with signs and wonders following. So if I got up and preached a pure message, if I got up and preached a true message, if I got up and preached a message that was the message that God wanted me to preach, then the signs and wonders would follow uh, the doctrine that I was preaching. Uh, by the flip side of that would be if I got up and preached something that wasn't true, if I got up and preached something that was false doctrine, then the signs and wonders wouldn't follow <clears throat> because God's confirming his word because the word to us was the most important thing. We have to get people to believe the message because all of this Christian stuff is predicated. Everybody's salvation, you know, missing an, an eternity, a burning hellfire is completely hinges upon you believing the right thing, believing the right thing, believing the right truth. So we had a God who the most important thing to that God was that we believe the right information, that we believe the right historical information, that we believe in the right historical event. And if we did all of that, then, you know, we could be saved. Well, we can't go back into history. So we reasoned, well, as we preach this, as we preach the resurrection of Jesus, as we preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then God comes along and he confirms it with signs and wonders to help convince people so that they believe the right thing so that they can be saved or come more into the knowledge of the truth. And we'll talk about truth in a minute, a little bit more. 
So I want you to notice, you know, the first thing was right doctrine, right teaching, using the right words, saying it correctly. I remember just kind of, you know, messing with folks early on with with my as I was thinking these things through. You know, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. Uh, well, what's the name of the Lord? Well, you ask a Christian, they're going to say the name of the Lord is Jesus. Uh, but that's the English transliteration of the name of the Lord. If you're in a Spanish-speaking country, you might say Jesus. Uh, we think the correct pronunciation of Jesus' Hebrew or Jewish name was Yeshua. And so I'd say, well, uh, to be saved, do you have to call on Jesus? I mean, what if you called on Jesus? Um, you know, maybe you're not... I mean, I guarantee you, you go to Palestine and... 33 AD or whatever and start, you know, walk past the man Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, he, he ain't going to turn around. Or, hey, Jesus, he ain't going to turn around. Uh, but yet he's got the name that is above every name. See, this is so hilarious. So so then we say, well, his name's Yeshua. And then there was a group that came along and said, no, 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 that's not the right pronunciation. The right pronunciation is Yahshua. It's Yahshua. So we have to say Yahshua not instead of Yeshua. Um, so this is crazy, right? So like we say, well, he's got the name that is above every name. I remember reading Kenneth Hagin's book, um, Power in the Name or something. or No, not Kenneth Hagin. Um, what's the guy's name? E.W. Kenyon. E.W. Kenyon's book about the <coughs> power in the name of Jesus. So there's power in that name. And when we attach the name of Jesus at the end of all of our prayers, right? But, um, but if the power is in the name, his name is in Jesus. You're using the wrong name. I mean, here you say the power is in the name, and you're using the wrong name. You're not even calling the man by the right name. <laughs> that God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. And we got the name wrong, just because we translated it in, into English. We got the name wrong. So there's some problems there. Anyway, I need to get... <laughs> but you see how silly it is. You see how silly it is. <laughs> I see Vanessa again. Religion makes me want to drink. Uh, religion made me drink. Um, but that's a, that's a story for another day. So anyway, let's, <laughs> I want to look at something that Paul says. We think Paul says. Actually, we don't think Paul says it anymore because most scholarship says Paul didn't write the book of Colossians. Um, <clears throat> but let's, let's, let's just look at this scripture. Colossians uh, chapter 2, uh, he says this in verse 8, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. You could say according to the church councils and creeds. According to the basic principles of this world, the basic flow and operation of the way the world works. And not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. And then he goes through talking about what Christ did. And then we pick it up in verse 16. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or watch this. Uh, Vanessa, Jeanette, Sam, Ray, if you're on, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon. Or a Sabbath. <laughs> Don't let anybody judge you. So if you're doing new moon ceremonies and people say, you know, oh, that's that's of the devil. Oh, that's witchcraft. Just show them that verse. 
tell them they're they're disobeying the word of God right there. <laughs> Here's the point. Paul's talking about philosophies. He's talking about basic principles. Then he's talking about things out here. Do not touch. Do not eat. Uh, observe this new moon. Don't observe this new moon. Observe this Sabbath. Don't observe the Sabbath. Because the problem is what robs us of our reward in Christ is we, we get so focused on the world out here. He goes on in that same passage in the next verse and he says, uh, these things are but a shadow. Watch this. This is so cool, man. He says, these things, the, the new moon, the Sabbath, the, um, uh, whether you're eating the right food or not. And you gotta understand, from what we understand, from what I understand of ancient Judaism, if you ate the wrong food, that, that, that's like, that's like going out and, and, and going to an orgy in, in this day and age. I mean, the way we, the way sex and sexual expression is so taboo for Christians today, it was not so much, I mean, it was, but, food, eating the wrong food, eating pigs, eating uh, shrimp, or or eating with the Gentiles. That that was a big deal. And so he's saying, don't be judged by these external things that are going on in this three-dimensional world. Everything he mentions, the philosophies, the basic principles of this world, the empty deceit, whether or not you're keeping a festival around a certain cycle or not keeping a festival around a certain cycle, whether you're keeping the Sabbath or not keeping the Sabbath, whether you're keeping the dietary laws or not keeping the dietary laws, it's all here in this world. And watch, look at the Platonic thought in this. This is Plato, man. This this isn't Jew, This isn't Paul the... The, the rabbinic Jewish Pharisee that we think he is. Uh, and maybe that's because Paul didn't even write the letter. But whoever wrote this letter is using platonic thought because he's saying these things are a shadow, but the substance is of Christ. The substance exists in a higher realm or a higher dimension of reality of the ideals, of the ideals. And so he's saying the ideal is Christ and all this other stuff is substance. It's the shadow. It's the darkness. And so what we, what happened to us in the charismatic world was we got all hung up in the shadow. We got all hung up in, in behaviorisms. That's all Christianity is. It's behaviorisms. And the best change that they can give you, barring a supernatural experience, because there is the supernatural, there is Christ, there is the flow of the Spirit that's still part of that old thing and still in that old thing. And I love it and I bless it. But for the most part, it is cognitive behavioral therapy. Change the way you think. It'll change the way you behave. That's, that is, if you're a counselor, you know what I'm talking about, psychologist. If you, most counseling, a lot of counseling is based on what we call cognitive behavioral therapy, helping people make change by changing what they think and changing the way they behave. But here's my point. You can do that in this realm without any substance of Christ happening at all whatsoever. So if we could understand that I believe, especially from Colossians, that, that, that the Pauline version of Christ is this expansive thing. And we'll look at it in John's Gospel in just a minute. That it, that it is not um, something that is unique to Christians. And it's certainly not something that comes from the outside in because you invited a man to come live inside your, inside your heart. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff we did, it's just like, oh my goodness, you know. Um, so, so part of the differences or part of what we need to do in, in order to move from one to the other is we have to be willing to let go of the behaviorisms. And I'm not just talking about the moralities. I'm not just talking about the, the belief systems. I'm talking about the behaviorisms 
of charismatic Christianity. The behaviorisms of just spontaneously speaking in tongues when you're praying for people. The behaviorism of laying on of hands. The behaviorism of I have to get the right doctrine, I have to get the right message, and God will come and confirm it. The behaviorism of the way we prophesy, thus saith the Lord thy God. The behaviorism of the way we do miracles. If I can, if I can tell people, you know, God's healing back pain, then I can get them to believe that God is healing back pain, then God will do it because God will respond to their faith. And, um, and then if they come up and testify, then more people are going to have faith. And then the more people that have faith, the more they're going to get healed. I mean, I did miracle services for years. That's absolutely the formula. Talk to anybody that's done them successfully. Now, you can judge me for being manipulative or whatever, but, hey, a lot of people got healed. A lot of people got blessed. Um, we had some powerful times back then. But, see, those are the behaviorisms that that we go about. And then we think the magic, the formula, is in the behaviorism or it's in the shadow rather than from the substance. Is that is that making sense to you guys? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So I think we, we have to let go of that stuff. We have to say, look, I don't have to have the doctrines right. I don't have to have uh, all these behaviorisms. I don't have to tag Jesus at the end of everything. I don't have to preach the message first or do it during praise and worship. I mean, anybody that's ever been to a Benny Hinn meeting, Benny had a formula that worked for him. Um, and he followed that formula to a T. Uh, and I'm not faulting any of this. I'm just saying the transition is moving away from those behaviorisms, everything that's in this world of shadow, so that we get to the world of substance, which is Christ. So is that is that making sense? Is that is that helping you? So in other words, um, God, it's, it's hard to describe because now you can't put language to it. Now, because it doesn't fit within a certain structure, it's a way of being that comes from the inside. And so that brings me to the next part of this. A lot of what we did in the charismatic world was out of this sense of separation. It was God coming down, God coming upon, uh, God flowing through, God working through, God other than us, God answering prayers. It was, those of you that have seen me teach some of this stuff live, I go on the board and I draw this triangulation. Um, you got one person here, you got another person here. You got God up here, and if we can get to God on behalf of this person, then God will get to this person. And so we create this triangulated form of prayer. It's not really any different than triangulating in relationships. You know, you guys know what that is, right? I mean, triangulating happens in families all the time. Uh, when someone in a family upsets someone and they can't handle the burden of it, they'll contact another person in the family and say, hey, you know what so-and-so did? And so now they're causing trouble in that relationship. Uh, anyway, eh, teaching for another time. But so we're triangulating with God. And it's this God coming down or this God coming upon. I think the biggest difference with this awakening is, is understanding that this is something that is an unveiling or an uncovering that is coming from within, that is coming up on us, if you will, rather than upon us. It's not the spirit coming down. It's it's the the divinity within us rising and raising up. I hope that 
that makes some sense to you. I'm going to give you an example. I, I just, I've been drawn to this story all week long. I think John's Gospel, now there may not be a person in the world that agrees with me on this, but I think John's Gospel was written not by John the Apostle. I, I don't believe for one second it's an eyewitness account. I honestly don't believe a lot of what was written in there actually happened literally because I don't believe that was the intent of the author. I think it's brilliant what he does, but he, he starts out talking about in the beginning was the word, in him was light and life, everything that came into being, everything that came into existence came out from that word. And <clears throat> then he says, um, the word became flesh and our translations say dwelt among us. If you have a halfway honest, decent Bible, there will be a footnote in that verse where it says among will have an asterisk by it. And you can go and look in the margin, in the fine print, and it will say within. Because, in fact, the Greek word there is within. The word became flesh and dwelt within us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, I want you to notice, the word became flesh and dwelt within, and we beheld, we saw something. And so then the next thing you see is two disciples coming to Jesus, and they say, where do you live? Where do you abide? Where do you dwell? And he says, come and see. And so the intent of the author <clears throat> is that the reader understands that what you're reading about in John's Gospel has nothing to do with the external literal event. It has everything to do with a mode of consciousness or a way of being that you pass through that dwells within, that, that is within you so that you can learn to become a dwelling place of the Spirit for God. So <clears throat> at the beginning, Jesus says, I'll show you where I dwell. If you forget about Jesus as the historical man and you think about him as the principle of the divine uh, essence, the spirit, the divine spark, he says, I'll show you where I dwell. And then by the time you get to 14, 15, 16, he's saying in my father's house, in chapter 14, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Um, he talks about becoming a habitation of the spirit. So the whole thing is for you to learn how to become a habitation of the Spirit, uh, for you to learn th these things. And he painstakingly goes through John's Gospel and says, look, if you take this literally, you're missing the point. Nicodemus, if you want to see, notice how many times he talks about seeing. If you want to see the kingdom, you must be born from above. If, unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom. And, and Nicodemus says, do I have to go enter into my mother's womb a second time to be born again? <laughs> See, taking the literal, missing the spiritual application. He goes to the woman at the well, and he says, uh, he says, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will, will have wells of living water, will never thirst. I'm sorry, will, will never thirst. And she says, well, where is this well? Where is this literal physical well in the world of shadows where I can go and drink? And he says, no, no, no. The, the well that I'm talking about is a well of water inside you springing up into everlasting life. It's a well that's already within you. See, everything that you need to live a supernatural life on any level is already within you. Every answer to every problem, every answer to every prayer already has been packaged inside of you. 
omnipotence is packaged inside of you. Omnipresence, being able to be multiple places at different times, is packaged inside of you. Um, uh, omniscience, the ability to know. Omniscience, uh, the ability to know things is already inside you. It's just a matter of unlocking it. It's just a matter of opening it up and unlocking what's inside you and being able to wean yourself from the behaviorisms of the charismatic world to enter into the deeper realities and the deeper truths of Christ in you or the divine in you, whatever you want to call it. Again, don't get hung up on semantics. You know, the Christian community is so hung up on semantics because salvation depends on semantics, just like we were talking earlier. Do you call on Jesus? Do you call on Jesus? Or do you call on Yeshua? Who knows? Um, it's all semantics. You've got to pray the prayer the right way. You've got to do the behaviors the right way. That's all what Paul called the world of the shadows, using that platonic principle of, of the guys at the cave looking at the shadows when the light is behind them. And so this shifting, then, is a turning uh, it's a it's a turning to see more of the light. So with that in mind, let's go to John chapter nine. Uh, and I'm sorry I'm not responding to the, the comments much. Uh, let me get this out, and then I'll, maybe I'll go back and look through some of them. But John chapter nine, Jesus heals the man born blind. Uh, I'll read it to you for those of you that aren't familiar with the story. It says, "Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. That's really important." And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Don't tell me they didn't at least have some belief in reincarnation. Because if the dude is born blind, how could he have sinned before his birth in order to have been born blind unless he had sinned in a past life? All right, I'll just leave that there. Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Should be revealed in him. Right? I must work the working of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spit on the ground and made clay with saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated as sent, or or Siloam can also mean a bursting forth, a bursting forth of water. Uh, it, it's, it's this theme all throughout John's Gospel of the water, the wells of living water within you, the rivers of living water flowing without you. Here we have, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, neighbors and those who had previously seen that he was blind said, is this, is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, this is he, and others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Now, in the New King James Version, the word he there is in italics, which means it's not in the original text. So it says, some said, this is he, others said, he is like him, but he said, I am. Come back to that in a minute. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? <laughs> he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Later on, he goes on. He says, I don't even know who this guy is. And yet we would use this. How, how messed up is this? I think I don't know if Kyle Butler's still watching, but Kyle, I think you'll appreciate this. 
because I'm sure you, you, you preached, you know, or testified or heard people testify. I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> and they're talking about, you know, their salvation experience, right? And we would say, well, to have the salvation experience, you have to know who Jesus is. You have to believe the right facts. Jesus didn't even reveal himself to this man. <laughs> if Jesus wanted this man to see Jesus, then he would have healed him right there so that the first thing that he laid eyes on, after being born blind, after never seeing, the first thing he would have laid eyes on would have been Jesus. And man, would have that preached good in charismatic world. The first thing you got to see is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Man, that would have been awesome. But you read the story, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. So why does Jesus do this? I mean, it's kind of rude if you think about it. He spits, puts clay in the man's eyes and sends him, sends him off to wash in this bubbling brook of this pool called Siloam or translated as Saint or Apostle. Uh, so, so why does he do that? If you think about it, first of all, he's, he's talking about an internal reality. He's still picking up on this theme of the rivers of water, the, the divine life that is within you, the divine presence that's within you, that's not other than you or separate from you, but is you, right? And, and, and so there's a hint of this in here as well. But the other thing that's so cool, if you think about it, the man was born blind, so he goes and washes. So if you wash in water, and there's sunlight, you're outside and there's sunlight, and you look down, what's the first thing you see? You see the reflection of yourself in the water, right? You see the reflection of yourself in the water. I think the reason that was called scent is because, um, I don't know, man, just, there's so many parallels and so many different places we could go with this. But... But we're all the man who's been born blind. I mean, we came into this world blind, right? I mean, what is this thing that we got dropped off on? I mean, what are we? We're on a, a giant spherical spaceship moving thousands of miles through outer space in a circle with nobody driving the thing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, and then... We're getting, we go through this life, we don't know anything, we start getting sick, we, we, people we love die, good things happen, things that we call good, bad things happen, pleasant things happen, unpleasant things happen, and we're just trying to make sense of it, and we don't know anything. So in that sense, when it comes to seeing, especially spiritual realities, we're all born blind. But can I tell you, when it comes to seeing who we are, that when it comes to seeing ourselves, we're also born blind, right? And so the work of this man Jesus in the gospel here, his work is to open our eyes so that we can see, but not so that we can see the historical Christ or, or something other than ourselves, but I think so that we can go within to those, those waters and wash the mud away, the earth, get it? Like, like, why did he spit on the clay? Because it's, it's, it's earth and water. Whoever's born of the flesh is, whatever's born of the flesh is flesh, right? So, it's the clay, it's, it's this earthen vessel that prevents us. When all we can see is the earthen vessel, when all I can see is your personality or your opinion, or that you're agreeing or disagreeing with me right now, or, uh, your life situation, I can only see the, the clay. 
the, the clay of my own life, the, the muddiness of my own life is preventing me from seeing the clear waters of the Spirit that are within me. And so as I begin to wash that away, uh, with that clear water in the Spirit, then my eyes begin to be open. And so even though I was born blind, now I see, but what I see is I see myself. Which is why when he's walking by, they say, well, I think that's the guy. No, it's just somebody that looks like him. And he turns around, he says, I am. The same, same I am statements that Jesus is making, that John is emphasizing throughout Jesus' gospel. I am the, uh, living bread. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. All that stuff. And this guy just says, I am. So he gets this revelation when, 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 when the, when the, the, the veil of the flesh, if you will, is lifted from our eyes, then we can begin to see I am. I'm every bit as much I am as Jesus in the Gospel of John is I am. <laughs> that's the point. That's that's the point. That's what the Gospel writer is trying to get you and me to see. And so if we want to live in this supernatural life, then we've got to understand that God does not come outside of us to touch something because we have the right doctrine or we're with the right group. Listen to how cliquish we talk as as Christians, you know, when they talk amongst each other. I mean, we definitely have this us against them, and God is always confirming our doctrine or our point of view or our belief or whatever the case may be. And so we got to let that go. we we got to let go of um, thinking, you know, uh, that somehow God comes down and confirms my lifestyle or confirms my belief system or whatever the case is. Instead, we are all expressions of the divine. So that, that brings me to the last part of John's gospel I want to talk about. And I know I've gone really, really long. Sorry. I hope this is helping you. It's the shift. It's like, okay, Aaron, tell me how. Tell me how can I get into the supernatural? Which, by the way, I'm doing a class that I'm calling... Um, Wells of Water Within or something like that. Somebody tell me. Somebody write it in. I can't even remember the name of my own class. It's going to be a Zoom class. We set up an event. Um, you can message me or ask me about it or write in the comments about it. But uh, I am charging for it um, $150 for three classes, so about $50 a session. If that is a big problem for people because, you know, shelter in place, you're not going to paycheck or whatever, please feel free to private message me. And we can talk about that because I don't want people to not be able to get it. But also, um, I, I don't want to be giving everything away for free anymore either um, because I've devoted my life to a lot of this stuff. And I, guess what? I need to eat too. So, <laughs> And my kids and and uh, and beyond eating, I want to have some stuff. But anyway, so that's why I charge them for the course. Uh, also, it's an energy exchange I'm pouring into you. So there's just a good energy exchange that happens there. So anyway, that was my little commercial, right? <laughs> so part of it, really part of it is shifting the belief because you will always experience what you believe. So if you believe in the God in the sky who thinks you got to get the doctrine right, who thinks you got to get your behavior right, who thinks you got to get your behaviorisms right, who thinks you got to get your living right, before you can tap into something supernatural, we call supernatural, that, is, that belief right there is going to block you from being able to experience and be in the flow of what we call the supernatural. That's going to be the biggest block right there, thinking that I'm separate from this, I'm other than this, I'm separate from all these things, 
I have to get somebody to lay hands on me. I have to get somebody to impart into me. I gotta soak. Remember soaking? I gotta soak. I gotta fill up. Uh, so again, that's something coming from the outside. I gotta, I gotta soak. I gotta drink in the spirit. I've gotta fill up with the spirit. All of that is predicated upon separation and lack. And we just read in Colossians, the fullness of Christ is in you. You're complete in Him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily through the Christ. So you really got to begin to believe and affirm that the fullness of the Godhead. Uh, yeah, yeah, Vanessa says, no more sky gods playing hide and seek. Oh, bam, I love that. No more, no more sky gods playing hide and seek. Exactly. Remember that? The God chasers? Remember Tommy, Tommy Tenney, which is a wonderful man. I, I had a chance to meet him. I interviewed him for my radio show. Uh, just precious, precious person. But, you know, he made a ton of money off of the God chasers and, you know, God's playing hide and seek just like I like to play hide and seek with my kids. Yeah, but you don't hide when your kid is, uh, is sick and needing help you don't hide when it's dinner time oh my god we haven't eaten in three days where's dad i need to go find him uh, it's a ridiculous anyway <laughs> i gotta get off it but it's so important that you understand it's 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 believing that you are the i am and not finishing the sentence i am what i am i am i am everything i am being itself and and tapping into that ground of being tapping into that place of pure unadulterated potential that has not yet come out in word or deed or form uh and then from that place beginning to manifest signs and wonders from that place beginning to manifest power uh but but you'll never get there. You'll 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 never get there as long as you're holding this concept of separation in your mind and not realizing that it's within you. So here's another example. Jesus talks to the woman at the well. I mentioned that a little bit earlier, but she asks him, she says, I see that you're the Messiah. And watch the form. She's asking about form. She's asking about behaviorism. She's asking about worship. She says, uh, which mountain? On this one where the Samaritans say the temple should be <laughs> should be, or in Jerusalem where the temple is, which mountain should we worship God in? And Jesus says, the time is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. So in other words, he's turning our way. He's saying, look, as long as you're looking at form, you're missing the boat. As long as you're debating about whether it's this mountain or that mountain, whether it's the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church, whether it's the Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church, whether it's the Charismatic or the Non-Charismatic, whether it's the Word of Faith or the Glory Bunch, whether it's, uh, you get it, uh, whether it's my interpretation of the Bible or your interpretation of the Bible, whether I got it right or you got it right. Uh, is, that, is it making sense to you? And Jesus says, look away from all that. Look away from all that because... True worship, and this is service, not not worship like, oh, hallelujah, um, <laughs> not that stuff. He's talking about service. Those that serve are serving in spirit, and they are serving in truth. Now, what does truth mean? Because if you look at truth in the realm of the shadows, if you look at the shadow on the cave, then truth is getting the doctrine right. Truth is getting the language right. Truth is getting the belief right. Truth is getting the behavior right. But if you look at the substance who is Christ, if you look at the substance who is Christ, then if you turn around from Plato's cave, then truth, really, the word there means an unveiling 
or to reveal what is authentic. So truth does not exist in an absolute concept, an absolute principle, or an absolute moral. It doesn't. Truth exists in the authenticity of the moment and your point of view. The authenticity of the moment and your point of view. And our point of view changes as we move through life. Our point of view changes as we move through life. So what was true of me or what I was true about me four years ago is no longer true of me today. Yet I'm more authentic. Integrity is more than just, um, I'll leave you with this. Integrity is more than just truth telling. Integrity is way more than just keeping a promise. That's behaviorism. Um, so truth telling. So before I logged on here, I had a donut. Or how about this? Truth telling. Uh, you're only seeing me from the waist up. Because <laughs> like probably a lot of you in the waist down, I'm, I'm in sweats. I'm not in pajamas. But I'm, I'm wearing sweats. I would never do that in church, right? This is one of the reasons I love being able to do this from my basement. That's truth telling. Um, integrity in regards to a promise. I said I'll be on at 10 o'clock on my Facebook page live talking about the topic. And that's what I've done, so I've kept my promise. So that's integrity, right? Or we think that. But the word integrity comes from the word integer. And it means to be whole. It means to be corresponding. And so you cannot have true integrity without authenticity. If I am speaking not directly from my heart or from the truth in that present moment, then I don't have integrity. I don't have integrity. And sometimes that means saying to somebody, you really pissed me off. Sometimes that means uh, saying to somebody, I, I, need a, I need a break right now from you or us or this, or I don't want to talk about this right now. Sometimes that means saying, I don't agree with you. Sometimes that means saying, I don't know what I think in the moment. So we still have this idea that love is feminine energy only. Like, what is love? I'm just going to finish with this. I don't know why I'm getting off on this, but what is love? What is love? It depends on who you ask. I mean, we're seeing all this stuff, you know, that we gotta love, we gotta love everybody. We gotta, we gotta, you know, love and forgive and, and let people get away with stuff. And, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that whatsoever. But is that all that love is? Is that all that love does? Does love only look like kindness? Does love only look like I'll agree with you? just to keep the peace? Does love only look like I'm going to forgive you or I'm going to cover? Um, or can love look like other things too? Does love only look like the feminine energy? By the feminine energy, I just mean that nurturing, soft. Some of you out there, man, you manifest the divine feminine love aspect in amazing ways. But um, but there's also a masculine energy. I mean, Jesus, you know, Jesus was very compassionate with the multitudes, and he was very harsh with Herod. He was very harsh with the Pharisees. 
Um, and I'm not saying we use that as an excuse to go and be jerks or whatever, create disagreement, but I'm just saying. Um, and, and, and so, you know, kind of what we do is we end up, we, we leave Christianity, we leave one form of bondage, and then in the awakened community we create another form that says, hey, we just got to be love and light all the time. In which case, you're just wearing another mask, man. You're just, you're just as religious as you were before and going to end up just as hypocritical and end up on the same old damn hamster wheel that you were on before. Because the truth is, we've got to get out of this dualism. I need to do some more stuff on dualism, but we, we got to get out of this. Just I'm just going to be love and light and just love and light to everybody. Bullshit. You are lying to us and you are lying to yourself. You are not in every moment love and light because you also have darkness. You also have a shadow side. You also have emotions. And you know what? That doesn't mean you're broken. And that doesn't mean you got to go back in your past and figure out who dropped you and, and how did mommy break you or daddy or, or the kid on the playground so that you can get healing. You're just a human being. Human beings disagree. Human beings argue. Human beings get disappoint one another. Human beings get mad at each other. And we go around pretending in these communities, oh, I'm just love and light. Bullshit. <laughs> we need to stop trying to be light workers and we need to just be, uh, twilight warriors. And what I mean by that, we need to be people who know how to, to wrestle with the things inside ourselves and wrestle with other people so that we can bring the balance and the blending between the light and the darkness. And then we can be like that star, that Venus star, that's shining in the middle of the twilight. Um, and then we can be more authentic. So that comes back to integrity. How in the world did I get off on all that? I have no idea. So integrity means that I have the ability to be authentic with where I'm at. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about worshiping in spirit and in truth. I can tell you I feel more anointing now than I did when I was in the charismatic church. I am seeing every bit as much uh, healings, um, stuff, but, but I don't feel the need to broadcast it. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, um, significant, powerful healings uh, for people. But it didn't happen the old way, and I don't need to broadcast it. And I certainly don't want people depending on me like some kind of spiritual rock star or some kind of supernatural celebrity, uh, because that actually diminishes them in their own eyes. I would much rather be like Jesus and somehow be able to help people get the mud off of their own eyes so that they can see the Christ that is within them. And out of the treasure chest of their own heart, they can begin to bring forth their own manifestations of healing, their own manifestations of well-being, their own manifestations of abundance. I really think that's where we're moving. I think we're moving away from, not that we don't still pray for each other, not that we don't do energy work or, or contribute to this thing together, and support and build up each other. But this, this celebrity stuff, the day of that is over. And, uh, and so we need to be able to help people wash in the pool of Siloam and connect with who they really are so that the, the I am that is in them, the authentic person that they are, their authenticity in that moment. Now, we do need to develop the skills so that if we are angry, we're not assholes in the middle of, um, you know, being angry with people. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Well, I'm just being authentic. I'm just having integrity. I know somebody's going to hear that and run out of here with that. 
Not saying that. Come on. Expect more from yourself. Challenge yourself to come up to a little bit uh, greater level of, of skillfulness. You're not going to do it all the time. And again, it's skill. All right. I'm rambling. I'm done. Um, let me check. Let, let me look at some of the comments. What, what do you guys think? Um, anybody with a question that they asked and I missed um, that you want to retype in or something that you want me to possibly answer? Um, if I did more of these, like if I did lives at other times, like in the evenings or something, uh, some of you would be interested in that. I mean, I'm not talking about going for how long have I gone. Um, I can't even tell, but an hour or whatever, but, you know, 30 minutes, whatever. We, we can listen to this all day. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose I should apologize for my foul language. Um keeps me human, keeps you from putting me on a pedestal, right? <laughs> Not that anybody out there would put me on a pedestal. I'm just saying that happened to me a lot, and I every time I would fall off that pedestal. So I'm just trying to make sure that that doesn't happen again. <clears throat> All right, gang. Everybody be safe out there. Um, everybody uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of your loved ones. Um Love each other. Be good to each other. Let's remember we're all in this together. Everybody's experiencing this in different ways from their point of view. Uh, as far as this, I mean this, you know, global pandemic that we're in and uh, most of the nation shut down. A lot of it's opening up. We hope if it opens up that it doesn't uh, lead to another shutdown because they did it prematurely. Um, a lot depends on what area you're in. I've talked to some people that are in some hot zones and it ain't pretty. So, um Anyway, God bless you. Namaste. Love you guys. Thank you so much for logging on. And uh, once again, hope you have a great, great, great day.